good morning. Um, for those of you that I have not yet have the privilege of meeting, my name is Steve Dickey, and I am one of the pastors here at Clemson, and I'm really excited about the opportunity that I've been given to share uh, from God's Word this morning. So if you have a Bible, why don't you go ahead and grab that, or maybe your device, and turn to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. If you're new, and if you are, we're really glad that you're here. Uh, welcome in the name of our Lord Jesus. We're working our way uh, through this book, uh, and today we come uh, almost, at least, to the halfway point in the book. And it might be helpful to review a little uh, for those of you who haven't been with us, and for those of you who have, just to be reminded of some things. Uh, the book itself uh, was written by a guy by the name of, of Paul. Uh, in his previous life, uh, Paul, let's just be honest about it, he was a piece of work. He was. The guy was proud, he was arrogant, and he went around beating up Christians all the time, even ordering some to be killed. So he was a piece of work. One day, while on one of those business trips, uh, he's confronted by Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he is radically changed. As Jesus opens Paul's eyes to who he really is and how messed up he is, and he opens Paul's eyes to how beautiful Christ is, and he's radically converted. And, and Paul is just floored over it all. He's lying there in the dust, trying to take it all in. And he soon dusts himself off, and he gets up, and he starts going around. And what does he start doing? Well, he starts telling everybody about Jesus. He's just really jazzed and excited about Jesus. One day, he rolls into this region known as Galatia, what we today would know as modern Turkey. And he proclaims Jesus to them, telling them of how they can have a relationship with God. And it's not about what you do, but it's about what Jesus has done. And that the Christian life is not about your performing, but about Jesus's perfection. And furthermore, that if you believe and trust in Jesus, he'll love you, he'll save you, and he'll bless you. And the cool thing is many of them did. A church is planted, people are joining, everything's going great. Kind of like right now in the life of our church. It's a fun time. Everything's going great. We should be excited about that. But then Paul leaves to tell more people about Jesus and to start additional churches. And no sooner is he out the door than some false teachers come in. And they start telling the Galatians that this Jesus that Paul's been telling them about, he's okay, but if you really want to have a cool relationship with God and get in on all the blessings that God wants you to have, then there's some things you need to do. Not the least of which is you need to be circumcised. Paul gets word of this. So he sits down and he doesn't send them an email, but he, he writes them a letter. And it says in our Bibles, it's the letter of Paul to the Galatians. It's a letter that begins with a bit of Paul's autobiography or his spiritual biography. And it culminates in chapter 2 that we looked at last week where Paul talks about how we're justified by faith alone and not because of anything we've done. How we've been united to Christ and how every bit of it is by God's grace. 
Now today, in our passage, Paul's going to talk a little more specifically about what the gospel actually is. He's going to unpack it, pack it, and he does it by defending the gospel from experience and most importantly from Scripture. So with that introduction, let me invite you to turn in your Bibles, if you haven't already, to Galatians chapter 3. And I'm going to read for us verses 1 through 9. Hear God's Word. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness? Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we come to you on this, your day, Lord, to celebrate, to rejoice in who you are, and to gather around the beauty of your word. Oh, Lord, help us even now to read, mark, and learn and to be transformed by it this day. For we pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. This past uh, Monday, I had to run into Walmart to pick up something. And I know y'all think I live in Walmart. I, I really don't. But um, I had to go by Walmart. And as you would expect, with Halloween being that night, there were lots of costumes on display. Uh, some were kind of funny, some weren't very funny, and some were just outright scary. Um, and as I was checking out, uh, really kind of minding my own business, and this seems to always happen to me, um, there's this kid in line in front of me with his, his parents, and this kid had already put his, you know, his costume on. I mean, he, he was ready. And because I'm a little slow, I, not recognizing the character, I asked him, I said, hey, who are you? And he looked at me a little bit annoyed and because I didn't recognize who he was. And he said, I'm Harry Potter. And then, uh, maybe because I didn't recognize who he was, he had this wand in his hand. He waved it and he proceeded to cast a spell on me. <laughs> and yeah I, I, yeah, I laughed. The kid laughed. The parents laughed. We all laughed. We went on our, our, our merry way. Now, let me just go ahead and say this and get this out of the bag because I don't want a lot of emails on this. I, I'm in no way demonizing nor trying to promote Harry Potter. I, I'm just not, okay? And, and that happens sometimes uh, with all this wizardry stuff. And so I was a little hesitant to even share it, but, but this passage was in my head. I, I don't know if you realize it or not, but the same sort of spell casting and wizardry 
is all over the Bible, and we don't throw it away. In fact, you see it right here in this text. Here in verse 1, Paul says to the Galatians, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Now, we know that on one level it was the Judaizers who had bewitched or confused them. Paul had, had taught them that as sinners they were justified by grace in Christ through faith alone plus nothing. But the Judaizers were saying, and correctly I might add, that the works of the law also were necessary for justification. Now, before we go any further with this, let me just say something about these false teachers and false teaching. False teachers and false teaching have always been around the church, and it probably always will be. That's not the surprising thing here, quite honestly. I don't believe that's what he's surprised about. I think what he's surprised about and blown away by is the fact that these people were listening to him. And the same danger often faces us in our day. It's not that they aren't out there, it's the fact that we listen to some of that. So on one level, it was the Judaizers that were, do, that were doing the bewitching, yet at a, at a deeper level, that word bewitched in verse 1, and the way Paul uses it here literally means, I'm told, a witch or a practitioner of the occult. In other words, who's behind all that? The evil one is. He's trying to cast his spirit of confusion over the Galatian church. It's the evil one who wants them to forget who they are in Jesus. That their sins have been paid for, that they've been nailed to the cross and cast into the depths of the sea and cast behind the back of the Father never to be brought up again. He wants them to forget that. It's the evil one working through the Judaizers who want to cause the Galatians to forget the, the true blessings of the Christian life and where they're really found and come from. It's the evil one and it's the Judaizers who want these dear people to think that true blessing comes through works of the flesh and following the law. Paul writes these people a letter and it would be an understatement to say that he's not happy about it, about what's going on there. Notice how he describes them in verse 1, and again in verse 3, he describes them as foolish. J.B. Phillips, who was an old Bible translator, translates verse 1 like this, Oh, you dear idiots of Galatia. Really? Who saw Jesus Christ, the crucified so plainly, who has been casting a spell over you. That's how Phillips translates it, paraphrases it. And don't forget where this was read. This wasn't read in a closet somewhere. They, they read this in church. Now, can, listen, can you imagine getting that letter? Oh, great. We got a letter from Paul. Let's get together and read it. They open it up and it says, Dear idiots. They say, isn't Paul being hard on them? I mean, why does he talk like that? Let me tell you why. Two reasons. He loves them, and the gospel's true. 
And he's passionate about both of those things. What Paul wants this crowd to see, and what I want us to see this morning, is that true blessing comes from faith. The gospel's true. That word faith, it's used seven times in this section. And so it's a big deal to Paul. He wants it to be a big deal for us. So what Paul does is he builds a, a, a case, if you will, uh, an argument to, to prove his, case, his point that true blessing in the Christian life comes through faith and faith alone. He begins by, by taking them back. He, he takes them back to the cross and he reminds them of what Jesus had done for them. You see verse 1 here, he says, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. You say, well, now wait a minute. They weren't actually there when he was crucified, were they? No, but they heard about that crucifixion through the proclamation of the Word of God. And they were stricken by that. They were confronted in their sin. They saw Jesus for all that he was, and their lives were radically changed. And Paul's coming to this group of people, and he's saying, Guys, don't y'all remember that? I told you about Jesus. I told you how he lived a perfectly obedient life, how he bore God's wrath for your sins. Y'all were all looking to Jesus and excited about Jesus and growing to be like Jesus. And I leave, and these people show up, and, and they're all about what you have to do, and now you're not looking at Jesus anymore. You're looking at yourselves. And he is riled up about it because the gospel is at stake and because he loves them. And so he begins to talk to them. Look what he says. He says, let me ask you only this in verse 2. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Hendrickson, a great New Testament commentator, translate this verse like this. He says, this only what I learned from you, Hendrickson saying, Paul says, was it by doing what the law demands that you receive the Spirit, or was it by believing the gospel message? Now don't miss what Paul's doing here. He's talking about how the Galatians, and for that matter you and I, actually get started in the Christian life. And it begins with God. The moment we repent of our sins and trust in Jesus, we are declared righteous in His sight. And we get His righteousness. We are counted as righteous nothing because of nothing we've done, but all because of what Jesus has done. We get that righteousness. And so when God the Father looks at us, it's just as if we've never sinned. Once again, because of the work, the finished work of Jesus. But that's not all we get. And that's why I am so excited about this passage. We get something that we often overlook. We get the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. That is a huge blessing. This idea of the Holy Spirit coming to live inside of us, you see all through the canon. For instance, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, Paul says this, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. Why, Paul? That we might understand the things that are freely given us by God. 
Paul's assumption is that the Galatians have received the Spirit, and he's reminding them of that. In verse 2, he asks them, did you get the Spirit by works of the law, or did you get it by hearing with faith? He asks the same kind of question in, in verse 5. And my dear friends, it is a question that we would do well to ask ourselves this morning, and let me tell you why. There are those who teach incorrectly that the Spirit is something that we get after we've been converted. Perhaps as the result of our obedience or, or something that we earned or something that we worked toward and we're rewarded for and it's kind of an add-on in the Christian life. What I want you to see here is that what Paul is saying is and to you and I this morning, if we're believers, when we become a Christian, we receive the Holy Spirit. When we looked away from ourselves and trusted in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, we were given the Holy Spirit as a gift. This is seen throughout Scripture. For instance, in Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 and 27, we read these words. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. That same prophet Ezekiel says this in verse chapter 37 verse 14. And I will put my spirit within you and you shall live. And then, of course, there's that famous statement by the prophet Joel in Joel 2.28 where he says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Why did I take the time to take you back to the Old Testament and hear that? What is Paul trying to do in this text with these people and with you and I? He wants them to see that the emphasis in all of this is on God. Salvation begins with God. He is the one who will pour out His Spirit in spite of our disobedience. It is the outpouring of the Spirit that is a divine gift of God's mercy and love, not something that we can earn and work towards. And you see, that's what, that's what Paul's so riled up about. They'd forgotten that. They just didn't remember it. And he wants them to remember it and to reflect on it and to, and to rest in it. Now the fact that Jesus died for our sins and that we've been given the Spirit, that in and of itself is something to rejoice in. To be given eyes to see who Jesus really is. To eyes to turn away from ourselves and to rest in Christ. That's a big deal. That's enough. But there's more. And Paul doesn't want them to miss it. He goes on to remind the Galatians in verse 3, not only did you begin with the Spirit, but you have been sustained by the Spirit. Look what he says in verse 3. Are you so foolish? There it is again. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Look at that word perfected for a moment. What's he mean by that? Let's talk about it for a minute. It's important to note that the moment you and I are justified, as these people were, 
we are in the eyes of God counted or declared righteous in a positional sense. And yet we know that practically speaking, we're still very much imperfect. We still have a lot of rough edges that the Lord has to file off and make smooth, right? Maybe you don't, but I do. It's what we commonly refer to as sanctification. What Paul's saying here is, even our sanctification is a work, an ongoing work of the Spirit of God. Charles Hodge was a theologian from Princeton, and he says this about this very point. He says, all that the Scriptures teach concerning the union between the believer and Christ and of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit proves the supernatural character of our sanctification. Men do not make themselves holy. Their holiness and their growth in grace are not due to their own fidelity or firmness or purpose or watchfulness and diligence, although all these are required, but to the divine influence by which they are rendered thus faithful, watchful and diligent, and which produces in them the fruits of righteousness." What's he saying there? It's all of grace. It's all God-infused, God-powered. By all means, we as Christians are supposed to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, as Paul writes in Philippians 2.12. We're to do that. However, brothers and sisters, it is imperative that we always realize that the source of our sanctification and the holiness that we have, what little it may be as we pursue Christ, it's not by our own efforts. It's by God. It's by His Spirit doing that. Now listen, I, I know that's hard for us to stomach. I mean, it's, I mean, it's America, right? We're doers. And we often think, I believe, I do at least, okay, God, you got me started in this thing called the Christian life. I've got my fire insurance policy. I'm not going to hell now. I'll just take it from here. You just, just let me take it from here. Let me give you a little analogy of what I heard of how we often do this. Imagine for a moment that you get on an airplane, and you're a little anxious about getting on that plane, but, but you get on it, the plane takes off, and you look out, man, the sky's beautiful, it's blue, you see clouds, everything's just fine. So you say, you know, I'm going to take a nap. So you lay your head back on the pillow, you bump the guy's knees behind you, but he's very forgiving. But you're taking a little nap. A few minutes later, you wake up. And you look over across the aisle, and there's this well-dressed businessman. And he is sweating profusely. He's breathing heavily, and he's doing this. And you look at him, and you say, man, what are you doing? And he says, I'm helping keep this plane in the air. At that point, you slide over and you say, N -n no, you're not. He says, yes, I am. And he starts asking everybody else to start flapping to keep it in the air. So at that point, you just say to him, hey, man, a couple things. You're not helping. You're making a lot of people, myself included, really nervous. And thirdly, you're wearing yourself out for no reason whatsoever. Now, why that silly story? Because that's how we sometimes live. 
God saves us, he draws us, he places us in his family. We're grateful for it. Thank you, Jesus. But now just let me take it from here. I'll live it out from here. And that kind of attitude creates all kind of havoc in our lives and our relationships and everywhere else. Listen to me. When God saves you by grace through faith in Jesus, you're in. He's got you. You can enjoy the flight. In fact, you know, when you think about it, being sanctified by the Spirit of God is, is really an enjoyable thing. You say, well, wait a minute, it may be for you, it hadn't been for me. Work with me for a moment. Think about this. We get to learn what it looks like to love Jesus. We, we get to learn what it looks like to love other people more. We, God begins to deliver us from certain sins and addictions and thought patterns. And we, we learn how to forgive other people more and more. And we learn how to invest more in the cause in the, of, the, of the kingdom. And we learn how to talk to other people about Jesus. And we look at God's law not as a way to earn God's favor, but as a way for us to reflect and image the God who loves us. Not to say that there might be some rough air along the way. These people had some rough air. In verses 4 and 5, Paul talks about sufferings that they had been through. It wasn't all bed of roses. Nor will our sanctification be ended in this life. But you can relax because if you're in Christ, God's got you. It's all good. So this is what Paul's talking about here when... He talks about being perfected, not by pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps or by our own strength, but by the power of the Spirit. And it's where they had gotten off track. They'd gotten on the plane, they were headed towards their destination, and they're being duped into thinking that you can get there quicker if you just help God out a little bit. Paul's saying, that's foolish. It was foolish then, and it's foolish now. So what's he doing? He's reaching back into their experience. He's reminded them some things that have happened in their lives. And there were some good things going on. People were getting healed. That passage talks about that. But it was a work of the Spirit. But then Paul shifts things. This is amazing. He... He says we get started in the Christian life by faith. We're sustained in the Christian life by faith. And finally, it's just, it's just I had a hard time putting a label on this. Just bear with me. He, he wants them to see that the reality is it's always been like that. This, this faith thing, it's just always been there. Paul appeals to Scripture. And as an aside, let me say this. It's okay for us to talk about our experiences. That's fine. But you make sure you always get back to Scripture. What the Word of God says. That's what we measure things by. Paul appeals to Scripture, and particularly to the story of Abraham. Look at verse 6. He says, Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith, who are the sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, 
Those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Now let me ask you a question. Of all the people of faith that Paul could have used, why Abraham? I mean, if you go over to Hebrews sometime, there are a ton of people that the author talks about who are men of faith. Why Abraham? Abraham was a big deal. Maybe you know the story, but just in case you don't, God came to Abraham and he says, Abraham, uh, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bless the nations through you. And I'm going to bring Jesus through the nation of Israel, which is going to come from you. He said that to Abraham. Now, when he did, what did Abraham do? Did he say, thanks, let me go out. I got some things I need to do to make sure that's going to happen. And I'm, I got some things I need to go perform and we'll make sure we're, you and I are really together on this thing. Is that what he did? What did he say? Nothing. Basically, I trust you. The text said he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. He just trusted him. That's it. The text says that the sons of Abraham are also blessed, which begs this question. Who are really and truly the sons of Abraham? Jewish people, including these Judaizers, saw themselves as the true sons of Abraham, and they were right proud of it. In their mind, Abe was their father, physically, biologically, and genealogically speaking. In their mind, Abraham was Jewish. We're Jewish. Abraham loved God. How do we know he loved God? Well, he circumcised himself. And because he did that, God loved him. Therefore, they reasoned, Galatians, if you want to be truly loved by God and enjoy his blessings, you too need to be circumcised like Abraham and like us. But there's a little problem with that. Was Abraham a Jew or was he a Gentile? He was a Gentile. God reveals himself. Abraham makes a promise. God, I'm sorry, God reveals himself. He makes a promise to Abraham. Abraham trusts him. And it's not for almost 13 years later that Abraham takes out a knife and circumcises himself wasn't a knife. So here's the question. When did Abraham become a child of God? When he was circumcised? Or when he had faith? When he had faith. Period. And so then in verse 9 we have these words. Those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham the man of faith. What's Paul trying to tell these people? What's he trying to tell me and you today? You're already the sons of Abraham. And you're not sons of Abraham by circumcision. You're sons of Abraham by faith 
alone. All of that they should have known. They should have never fallen under the spell of these false teachers. They should have never been so foolish to forget the gospel that Paul had proclaimed to them, and yet they had. They had forgotten the gospel. Now let's bring it home and land this plane. Could it be that you and I often also forget the gospel? If this passage does anything, it reminds us of what the gospel is, what the gospel offers, and what the gospel requires. And I'm indebted to John R. W. Stott for that little phrase there. Stott writes, the gospel is not good news primarily of a baby in a manger, a young man at a carpenter's bench, a preacher in the fields of Galilee, or even an empty tomb. The gospel concerns Christ upon his cross. Paul never got away from the cross. When he finishes his whole letter up, he says, may I never glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why was he so passionate about the cross? Because he knew that it was there that our loving Lord absorbed the wrath of God for our sin. Jesus took that for us. We brought nothing to it except our sin, and Jesus took that for us. And when it was over, he uttered the words, tetelestai, meaning it is finished. What did he mean by that? The sins of my people have been atoned for. That's what he meant. Paul never got away from that. He didn't want these people to get away from it, nor should we. This passage also reminds us of what the gospel offers. It offers us the blessing of justification and the gift of the Spirit. Oh, what joy it is to know that our sins have been forgiven. But is it not encouraging to you this morning, my dear friends, to know that when you walk out those doors this morning, and if you're in Christ, that you're not by yourself, that the very Spirit of God is living inside of you. And so when you are tempted, He is there. When you fail miserably, He is there. When you don't know what to do next, He is there. I don't, that's, I, I don't think I could leave 8 Oleander Drive in the morning if I didn't know that, believe that. I just couldn't. Finally, this passage reminds us of what the gospel requires. The gospel offers blessings. What do we have to do to receive them? Same thing Abraham did. Believe them. We don't have to do anything. We only have to believe. We only have to rest and to rejoice in the finished work of our Savior. 
My dear friends, may I ask you this question this morning? Are you of faith? Or are you here this morning and you're trying to earn your way by the works of the law? Perhaps you're like that poor guy on that plane trying to achieve a right standing with God and you have worn yourself out. You're just tired of trying. Then I have good words for you this morning. Go soak yourself in Galatians 3, 1 through 9. And when you get up off of your knees and thank Him for who He is, what He's done for you, sing the words of the old hymn writer, James Proctor, and let those words wash over your soul. Lay your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet. Stand in Him and Him alone, gloriously complete. Let's pray. Oh God, what a passage. And I'm so thankful, Lord, that it didn't depend on my ability to talk or speak or even understand that all that comes from you this morning. And I pray, Jesus, that you by your Spirit would speak deeply and thoroughly into each of our hearts. And that, Lord, if, for those of us who are in Christ that will leave this place this morning happy in Jesus and rejoicing in the great salvation that is ours and the blessings we have. And if there might be one even in this place today, Lord, whose conscience you are stirring, even in this moment, Holy Spirit, might you be pleased to grant faith to that individual and draw them, O oh God, to yourself and into the blessings of the gospel. We thank you and praise you for its good news this day. In Jesus' name, amen.